and welcome to 13, the podcast that asks questions of Colgate University community members. Today we have a special episode, and this is audio that was recorded live on April 28th during our leadership conversation with Vice President for Advancement, Carl Klaus. He is also a member of the class of 1990. I hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to another live conversation with Colgate Leaders. I'm your host, Dan DeVries, and today I'm excited to welcome you to the basement studio of Lathrop Hall, where we are joined by Colgate's Vice President for Advancement, Carl Klaus. He is a member of the class of 1990. Now, Klaus returned to Colgate in the summer of 2020 to take over the university's advancement division after serving as Vice President of Advancement at Swarthmore College in Pennsylvania. Prior to his eight years at Swarthmore, Klaus spent 12 years at Colgate, first as a regional advancement officer covering the Midwest and West Coast, and later becoming director of major gifts and director of capital giving before taking on the role of associate vice president for institutional advancement. His efforts helped Colgate exceed its $400 million Passion for the Climb campaign goal 18 months ahead of schedule, raising an additional $40 million for financial aid and ultimately hitting a total of $480 million in gifts. Outside of his official work at Colgate, Klaus has volunteered for the admission office, served as a class agent and local alumni club board member, and he's served as a member of the Alumni Council. Welcome to the show, Carl. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. So I think we should start out just by talking a little bit about what you're responsible for at Colgate, how many folks you oversee, and and what does your division do? So the advancement division at Colgate um, is currently made up of 54 members of my team. And the best way to describe the different functions within advancement is to think about the life cycle of an alum or a donor. And... Um, and the various touches that happen throughout the course of, uh, of their life cycle. We have our alumni relations group, which um, is the group that's responsible for our engagement events. So the big on-campus events of reunion, homecoming, family weekend. Uh, we recently um, executed a really successful spring arts creativity and innovation weekend, something new that we are excited about doing each and every spring. And then there are off-campus and regional activities that happen uh, throughout the country and around the world, as well as support for affinity groups. So alumni relations um, is one team. Our annual giving team, um, those that are engaged in those conversations, as you would imagine, um, those gifts every year, um, engaging our donors, getting them into the habit of giving back uh, and feeling good about giving back and helping them understand the impact of those gifts. Uh, That's our annual giving team. We have a a separate team focused on philanthropy are frontline fundraisers, as we call them. And these are individuals that are engaging with donors, uh, alumni, and parents um, more directly. Um, uh, think about it as having gift officers with a portfolio of alumni and parents to engage on a much more uh, one-to-one basis. Okay. Uh, and that's spread across um, uh, as the donor is thinking about a campaign or a special initiative or a reunion gift that might require something that's elevated beyond their annual giving cycle, um, that's broken out uh, in various bands of leadership, major gifts, principal giving, and also estate giving, which is an 
important part of that, which I'll um, perhaps talk about a little bit later. So those three groups, uh, alumni relations, annual giving, frontline fundraising team, um, wouldn't be able to do the job that they do without support from our other colleagues in advancement. Uh, And the other three groups within advancement, gift records. Um, This is a a group of amazing colleagues who um, they enter every single gift that comes in and thousands of gifts that come into the university. Um, And it's important to point out that during the busiest times of year for advancement and the giving cycle is the end of the calendar year for tax purposes and the end of our fiscal year, which is June 30, they are working feverishly right through the holidays into New Year, making sure that we're keeping up with that with that flow. Um, they do a terrific job. Donor relations is another really important group. Um, I'll often um, say that we do a lot of work to cultivate, uh, to engage, and to um, solicit gifts. But what's really important is are we conveying the impact of those gifts? Are we properly thanking our donors for their gifts? And if we're not, um, that's that flow is going to decrease, obviously. So making sure that donor relations, um, uh, making sure that donors understand uh, the impact of their gift, those that have established scholarship funds get um, annual reports to indicate the health of that fund and how much that fund is generating in support of, of financial aid, as well as uh, events as we're dedicating buildings and um, announcing new funds. Uh, donor relations does a, a fantastic job of that. One more group within advancement, um, important group, is relationship development. Um, this is a very relational, um, very relational work. Um, managing those relations in our CRM and making sure that those frontline gift officers um, have information that they need to engage in conversations to help define what areas of interest may uh, there may be and also help to um, do some predictive modeling as to who might be a group of um, donor prospects that we might want to engage in for a particular initiative um, so that we're you know we've got good information that we're working on uh, and that the decisions that we're making are more data driven um, they are responsible for that task as well. Wow. So, that's, that's a great team. It's a, it's a terrific team. Uh, and uh, we um, we are located not on campus but in the village of Hamilton, yes. um, uh, which has – that was a transition that uh, Colgate made, oh, gosh, maybe 15, 20 years ago. But because we are outward-facing in terms of the work that we do primarily with alumni and parents um, – uh, you know, it's not necessary that we're, we're campus-based, but we get to campus a fair bit, um, m- many of us on a daily basis. But it's nice to have a group of individuals that are, are in the village and having lunch and walking the streets, and yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a nice place to work. Nice. Yeah. Can you tell us about how the Campaign for the Third Century came about and how Colgate landed on the $1 billion figure to fund many of the ambitious projects that are set forth uh, in the Third Century Plan? Sure. Um, happy to. The uh, the campaign for the third century um, is uh, was in response to the creation of the third century plan, um, and as institutions uh, create in their strategic plans, often there is a campaign that quickly follows because there are resources needed to implement those plans, and so this is no different. Um, uh, and but it's important to point out that. The campaign for the third century 
um, will fund the first moves of the third century plan. There's a distinction between this campaign and the plan itself. The third century plan, and part of what makes it so exciting is that this is a, we often say, a long-term vision for Colgate University. Um, and it is. And um, the plan will require not one, not two, but maybe th three campaigns to fully fund all the initiatives that are embedded in the third century plan. And so the campaign for the third century, and yes, uh, even with a billion dollar goal, uh, as ambitious as it is, um, this will fund first moves of the third century plan. And um, having arrived in the midst of the feasibility study, uh, for this campaign. And institutions will, it's a common practice, you'll go through a feasibility study to determine how much capacity is out there. Um, and some of it's based on what you've raised in the past, but you really do look at your uh, your donor base, um, your alumni and parents uh, and other sources. And as we were going through that work, um, you know, we were in that space where we were thinking we could be, this could be a 750, maybe $800 million campaign. And the more we engage in those conversations with the leadership here and our campaign leadership, um, it became clear that we, this is a moment for Colgate to take on uh, a much more ambitious goal. And the billion dollar goal um, came into play and um, we haven't looked back. So it's been, it's been fun. And how long is it expected to last? Like, is there a, a definite time frame that you set for a campaign like this? Or is it kind of like when, whenever we're done? Yeah, I think the latter is pretty yeah. much the case, uh, you know, when, when we get there. Now, we want to get there as soon as possible because we've got work to do. And as I've just said, there will likely be another campaign on the heels of this one. But uh, this campaign um, will take many years. Um, uh, we are currently at... Uh, 481 million in gifts and commitments. And that's uh, so almost to the halfway point, And I am very confident that we will be at that halfway point soon. Um, the first 500 million, um, you know, that comes from those that are closest to the institution. Um, our board has been incredibly generous. Um, our uh, donors who have been giving to Colgate um, uh, throughout its history, and this is a moment where they too wanted to be part of the initiative. The next 500 million, as we look to, uh, you know, who are those new donors and who are those uh, individuals who philanthropy is, the timing is right and we can have that conversation, um, that's going to take some work. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not just simply um, trying to figure out, okay, who are our targets and we're going to go, we're going to approach and have that conversation about a gift. We need to constantly think about the cultivation and the engagement and uh, the stewardship. Um, this is a campaign where donors may make not one, but two commitments um, because it may be a little bit longer in duration. Um, and we also, um, you know, I mentioned the alumni relations team and the annual giving team we, uh, and the, uh, the donor relations team. Um, it's important that as we're bringing in gifts and commitments to this campaign that we're we're engaging our constituents and we're um, cultivating those that are going to give to the next campaign. Um, you know, philanthropy develops habits and um, donors give to things that are important to them and things that they're close to. So making sure that Colgate is top of mind in terms of um, their philanthropic priorities is, uh, is important. So um, thinking of that 
um, uh, as we do our work, uh, it's a it's a very comprehensive approach in terms of the life cycle of the donor. Okay. And what have you been hearing from alumni about the campaign itself, about the goals that are set forward in the Third Century Plan? I'm curious to hear the, the feedback that you're getting. I imagine you go to most of the events. I have. Uh, I've been uh, in attendance at all of our campaign events uh, over the course of the past year. We launched in New York publicly last spring, uh, followed this academic year by a series of regional events in major metropolitan areas. And it was a, an opportunity. We invited every alum in those communities um, uh, and every parent in those communities. So it was sort of a come one, come all invitation. Uh, and it was, it was really energizing um, to um, have President Casey um, in the room um, sharing the vision with our campaign leadership uh, and I have to um, I have to give a shout out to our campaign co-chairs Christine Chow and Gretchen Burke who have been outstanding in their um, tireless efforts uh, great counsel um, their own generosity um, and that's uh, obviously very important for them to be able to say join me in this effort um, but they've uh, They've been at um, each of them was has been at every event um, that I just mentioned. So, um, what have we been hearing um, and seeing? Uh, there's a tremendous amount of pride, um, and I think when uh, we announced the goal a year ago in New York, uh, that was certainly the overwhelming response: is that this is this is really exciting. Colgate is on the move, and now to really make those moves, we need to we need the resources to to fund that. Um, but also thinking about the plan and the various pillars of, this, of the third century plan, um, it touches every area of campus. So regardless of your area of interest, um, there is something that's going to elevate that particular part of the campus experience. Um, and so the sense of excitement, the sense of transformation, um, that's, that's been palpable. And uh, that's been really, um, really fun to see uh, as, a, as an immediate reaction. And uh, obviously, um, with the support that we've been able to generate and the momentum in reaching $481 million in gifts and commitments to date, um, that's a clear signal of the reaction as well. So in what ways are alumni engaging um, with Colgate at this pivotal moment? Like, what are you seeing from folks? What are they most interested in? How are they participating? Well, they're participating in, um, in a variety of ways. Um, I mean, certainly the one obvious way is that they're, they're giving, they're making contributions, and they're supporting the campaign, um, and they're giving at all levels. And it's important to point out that um, this is uh, a comprehensive campaign, um, that it um, will celebrate gifts at all levels. It's not just the seven-figure, multiple seven-figure gifts um, we enjoy those gifts very much, obviously, and they're important. But the gifts uh, that come at um, uh, a more modest level uh, in support of the Colgate Fund um, year after year, um, in support of a reunion or an annual campaign, those are also very important. So they're giving. Um, and we, of course, want to see more give throughout the campaign. But there are also um, – there's a host of volunteer opportunities um, – Alumni and parents are volunteering, whether it's through um, parent organizations or their class giving initiatives um, that may be part of a reunion or uh, an annual campaign. 
And then there are also um, engagement opportunities related to affinity groups. Um, and so as uh, alumni enter the, uh, the world post-Colgate, um, they have various associations based on their experience on campus. And whether it's being part of the uh, an acapella group or the Alumni of Color organization, um, we've recently celebrated, or this year actually, during reunion, we'll celebrate uh, the 20th anniversary of uh, Colgate LGBTQ. Um, there are various number of ways to engage. Um, one of the things that we saw this past year being the 50th anniversary of women at Colgate was that created an opportunity for, um, a whole, I guess, a host of opportunities for others to engage. Um, and there were various virtual celebrations during the pandemic because we weren't allowed to, to be together in person. But that was a fun year of celebrating uh, 50 years of women at Colgate. This past year, um, as that uh, evolved, we used this year to bring back our uh, female athletes and to celebrate 50 years of women in athletics. Uh, and that was a weekend uh, this past uh, early spring after the new year, um, which saw um, it was a, a really fun weekend where we had our current student athletes uh, in a room with our alumni and talking about how that experience has shifted and changed uh -huh. um, going back to you know, groups of female athletes who initiated um, the, t the Title IX movement on campus connected to women's ice hockey, and to have them engage with our current women's ice hockey players, um, it was really special. Yeah. yeah. And I think um, both the alum and uh, our student athletes, our current students, got a lot out of that weekend. It was really fun. Nice. Yeah. Um, so what are your, I mean, I, I know you might say everything, but I'll try here. What are your top fundraising priorities at the moment? So if there's an alumni, uh, if there's alumni watching this and they're wondering how they can make the biggest impact on campus, what would you tell them to support? So we've we've broken the, the campaign into four pillars connected to um, the uh, the plan. And um, within those pillars, we have created fundraising priorities. Um, and this, we hope, will speak to donors directly. Um, and I will say... Um, before launching into the description of the four pillars uh, and the priorities, um, the Colgate Fund is woven through all of these. Um, and gifts to the Colgate Fund, those are the unrestricted gifts that come into the college, are incredibly important. Every year we are raising 9 to $10 million for the Colgate Fund. That is essential to um, all that we do. Those are dollars that are spent in the year that they're given. Um, Connected to the four pillars, we have lifted up first moves coming from um, the third century plan. The first pillar, attracting and supporting outstanding students, faculty, and staff. Um, the key elements, uh, fundable opportunities within this first pillar, the Colgate commitment. Uh, and this is um, how we are supporting financial aid uh, within this campaign. Um, we've recently ramped up no loans to families with income of 175000 or more. In addition, we're um, uh, paying for the cost of books. We have to backfill that and um, with endowment to make sure that that's sustainable and we can make that permanent, and then we'll take the next step. But it's been an um, incredibly exciting initiative that donors have been very responsive to um, as part of the first pillar. Um, 
The other piece of that first pillar um, is our support of faculty, as it um, implies. Supporting faculty, the primary way we're supporting faculty, there are funds that helps faculty in the classroom um, and help labs to be set up. But we're, we've got a goal of 25 faculty chairs. And um, very excited to say that 12 of those 25 have already been endowed. And those are significant endowments at $2.5 million each um, that um, carry with them, in addition to the resources that are attached to the faculty who hold those chairs, um, there's a lot of prestige. And we're under-chaired, I think, if, if I can say that, um, yeah, as yeah. we compare ourselves to peer institutions. And so to see the, um, to see the attention given to uh, support for faculty with those permanent endowed chairs has been really gratifying. Um, the second pillar, strengthening Colgate's academic enterprise, the funding priorities right now within that second pillar, um, the renovation of Olin Hall mm -hmm. and the creation of the whole mind Braid Behavior Initiative. Um, that's currently underway, as we know. Um, the steel is being erected for the addition, and the entire building is going to receive a, a full renovation. And there are many opportunities within that space um, to continue to support that project. Um, there's also first moves in the middle campus, um, arts, creativity, and innovation. Um, and as we know, we've also put a shovel in the ground for the Benton Center, which is incredibly exciting. So there are construction fences um, erected along um, Whitnall Field uh, and Lally Lane. And actually, the, the back wall of the Benton Center is beginning to take I shape, that, which yeah. is really exciting. Um, so you're beginning to see how that building will occupy that space between James B. Colgate Hall and, the, and Dana. Um, that is another um, initiative that we're working with donors to fund. And again, many opportunities to continue to fund and, and see that building come into, into being. Um, pillar three, enriching the student experience. Um, this brings in elements of the fifth residential commons. Um, Fox Hall will be a first move in the fifth residential commons as we build out that space, which is um, essentially just above um, gatehouse, and um, that has brought with it alone a lot of excitement, thinking about the time where gatehouse will no longer be there, but we'll have a beautiful um, cluster of dormitories that will represent the fifth commons. And then there's lower campus, which um, this is an initiative, which um, it's a, um, a good example of something that will ex expand beyond the current campaign and flow into the next campaign. But the, the first moves of the lower campus as we manage that um, the floodplain that it sits in as we think about the west row behind the existing row and the houses on the existing row on Broad Street that will require renovation that will become part of this current fundraising initiative probably towards the second half of the campaign and then there's Reed Athletic Center and um, thanks to the uh, generosity of the Carey family um, we were able to um, continue planning for um, a replacement and renovation of that space for our athletics teams. And um, something that there's a lot of excitement uh, behind, um, considering Reed, both the aesthetic and also the, the fact that built in the late 60s, it was when Colgate was a single-sex institution with yes. you know, roughly half the number of teams that we have now. And it's amazing to think that we're still utilizing that space and it's not busting at the seams. Um, so 
creating a, a new academic complex is uh, also part of that pillar. And then lastly, the fourth is improving campus and its environs. We've already seen some of this work um, come to uh, come to be. Um, the renovation of Oak Drive and the extension of the Oaks uh, along the LA on, on Oak Drive, um, that's been donor-funded, um, something that we didn't think would be an immediate donor interest, but um, there was great response to that. Uh, and um, we're going to make enhancements to Willow Path as well. Um, there's a connection between the middle campus and Frank Dining Hall. That is another landscape feature that we're really excited about um, coming to uh, coming to be. And then there's also features connected to the, the lower campus along Broad Street too. So that is in among the four pillars. Those are the current fundraising priorities. Um, as I said, um, the Colgate Fund is woven through all of these. You know, I often will... Well, I'll be I'll be asked about what does a campaign gift look like, yeah. and um, uh, we certainly want to see increased support of the Colgate Fund, those annual unrestricted dollars, and for donors to maintain their support of the Colgate Fund, and also think about on top of that stretching to support a strategic initiative in a meaningful way. Um, and those are the conversations that our frontline staff are having with with donors as we think about what's going to make them most excited? What are they most passionate about? And thinking about a true philanthropic experience. And then there is that third component of estate planning. And those are conversations uh, that often take, um, obviously, a little more time, and they may take some iteration. But that's a very important element of every campaign that Colgate has experienced and will continue to be. Um, It's a significant um, way for donors to participate. Um, by indicating that Colgate is in their estate, um, it's a very comfortable way to make that gift and to be stewarded for it. So it's the outright gift, but also those deferred giving arrangements um, that ha- are going to be critical for the success of this campaign. Hmm. That kind of leads into my next question about how the Colgate Fund contributes to the campaign. So that's money that's spent every year, right? I mean, when it comes in, it's used on campus. Um, so how does that work with the campaign? It all counts? It all counts. Okay. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, the campaigns, um, going back, oh gosh, this is probably 15, 20, 25 years, higher ed institutions would, um, launch what were called capital campaigns. And sometimes individuals will still use that terminology incorrectly, but a capital campaign, capital being your building projects, bricks and mortar and endowment building. Mm. And the focus was on capital and for all the right reasons. And often during those capital campaigns, the current use fund or the Colgate fund in our case uh, would sometimes find itself cannibalized because people were all of a sudden were shifting their attention Mm. to a building project or a scholarship endowment or a faculty chair endowment. And you were losing some of the speed that you were building with your, your current and unrestricted gifts. So... Creating this idea of a comprehensive campaign, which we are in, in which the last campaign, Passion for the Climb, was also a comprehensive effort where essentially gifts to all areas of the university, we're going to count in the campaign. Uh, And the Colgate Fund, uh, the Colgate Fund will be, of this billion-dollar campaign, the Colgate Fund uh, will occupy $100 of that um, overall goal, which is not insignificant um, and very important to the 
the financial well-being of the institution. Um, I think that the challenge is often um, how do we package and um, present the Colgate Fund? It is they are unrestricted dollars. They require a trust in the institution, which I think we've worked hard to build. Um, as you mentioned, those are dollars that are spent in the year that they are given. So um, my cabinet colleague, J.S. Hope, is looking to me every year to make sure that we deliver those Colgate Fund dollars uh, as part of the overall um, university budget. So, uh, you know, if we think about a campaign and how donors are participating, I would venture to say uh, 85%, 90% of our donors are going to participate in this campaign with their gifts to the Colgate Fund, which I think is absolutely worth celebrating, and we should. Uh, and we'd love to see those gifts grow. Um, so it's it's vital to the, the success of this campaign, and it's vital to the financial health of the institution. Um, one way of thinking about the Colgate Fund and describing the Colgate Fund, it supports everything we do on this campus. Um, it supports faculty, it supports our students, it supports students studying abroad and in the laboratories. It takes us from excellent to extraordinary. Mm. And so we're developing that vocabulary to talk about the Colgate Fund so that um, those that give to it uh, understand the impact that it's having and can feel good about gifts to the Colgate Fund each and every year. Thanks. Um, so what parts of the third century plan are you most excited about? Not not as uh, just fundraising, but I, what what are you looking forward to seeing on campus? Yeah, that's a that's a hard question. That's like asking a parent who their favorite uh, child is, right? Um, <laughs> but there's there's so many exciting elements to this campaign um, and the plan. Um, you know, I, I find it particularly gratifying um, as our support for the Colgate commitment grows to see the students who are on campus that are benefiting from um, the Colgate commitment. Um, uh, I find that incredibly gratifying. But I also um, see the um, lower campus plan and completing our campus and our residential experience for the junior and senior year. That to me, uh, as somebody who had my own Colgate experience uh, and junior and senior year experience. I find that in incredibly exciting to see how that is going to play out. So it is, um, you know, it's it's hard to pick just one. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I'm so excited about this effort is that it touches each and every area of campus. Um, you know, as a former athlete, uh, am I excited about um, what we're doing with Reed and athletics, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I really do credit the, the vision of those that created the plan and just before my arrival. Um, and I know there are many hands in it, but it does really um, touch so many different areas of this campus. Um, it's been really been nice to see. And, and, and we, we've seen this first $480 million as we reach the halfway point. Um, it's been really nice to see the evenness of support coming in. As I said, we've seen... It's interesting. You know, I was we've, wondering. Yeah. Donors, have, we're, they're not just attracted to one particular thing, and it hasn't been lopsided. We've seen support coming into all the initiatives in a really even way. So it feels like all boats are being lifted, which also feels really good. Wow. I bet yeah. that's rare. It seems like it's rare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
uh, you know what? I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because um, you mentioned being a student athlete. And, um, so you played Division One hockey here for Coach Terry Slater. Uh, did I get the years right here? 1987 to 1990? Mm-hmm. And um, can you talk about playing for the team, your experience there? And is there anything you took away from that experience that you find yourself still kind of calling back to in your role now? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, my student athlete experience was um, uh, it's such a big part of of my four years, and um, you know, we we had great success. Uh, in particular, uh, a run to a national championship game my senior year. But I look back on the four years, and there were there were moments when you know I was. A first year and trying to crack the lineup and finally making it into my first game and you know that first game and being on the ice and you know as the national anthem is playing is still a moment that I will never forget and and then there are also teammates that come and go across your four years and so the dynamic in the locker room and the you know the upperclassmen that uh, may have been a mentor to me um, those are really special moments too. And of course the coaching staff, Terry and um, his assistant coach, Brian DeRocher, um, they've left an indelible mark on me. Um, and that's one of the things that I've, um, I really value about the student athlete experience is that there was always that balance. Um, you do spend a lot of time, uh, I, in my case, a lot of time on the ice, but you also spent, uh, there was space given and priority given to your academic work as well. And I appreciate that. And um, I'd be remiss if I didn't recognize um, Don Vaughn, who has just announced his retirement after um, quite an amazing 30-year career. And as you read through all of the accomplishments that um, Don has uh, on his list of achievements, um, you know, uh, one of the things that really struck me and that made me feel quite proud as a member of the hockey alumni group was the fact that the his program had three 1819 award winners um, over the course of his uh, his tenure here which you know for those of alumni who, who aren't aware of the 1819 award but it is the most prestigious student award given annually to a member of the community and um, that says a lot about the type of students that uh, Don recruited and brought in and um, developed um, as part of his program so yeah it was um, it was a important part of my my experience uh, to be sure um, and uh, something that I'm uh, I think is an important part of Colgate is the fact that we have a robust athletic culture and and you know this year was in particular was uh, a year to be proud of thinking about pride and the way our alumni uh, engage to have four teams make it to an NCAA tournament this year was really extraordinary uh, and yet another moment of great pride um, and we also had um, you talked about Title IX earlier, but um, there were 13 women that gave uh, as part of that campaign as well, right? That's true. Yeah, and that was uh, an initiative as we were launching the campaign, thinking about 50 years of women on campus um, and playing off of the 13 men with $13 um, with 13 women who have each made a commitment to the campaign of a million dollars or more. Um and seeing that come together, Dan, was really exciting, um, in particular for our campaign chairs, Gretchen and Christine, who are both among that group of 13. And we certainly want to see that group of 13 grow to twice the 13. Um, but 
to announce that as we were celebrating 50 years of co-education and 50 years of, of women's athletics. Um, that was a really, really fun moment for, for uh, I hope, the entire university. But um, a great – again, a great deal of pride in thinking about um, um, how far we've come in those 50 years. So I'll kind of wrap it up here with a little reunion plug. So mm-hmm. um, that's the next big event, I mean, outside of commencement. Um, what should folks look forward to at reunion this year? Yeah, so reunion this year, and um, I think about the reunions come the reunion coming up this year uh, and recalling that last year, uh, this time we were preparing for two commencements <laughs> and two reunions <laughs> yes. and two campaign launch events in New York. Um, it was a extraordinarily busy season last year, but we're equally excited about reunion this year. Um, the one thing that I would um, reinforce is our intention to, and we I know we're in reunion cycles where we invite and we celebrate each class every five years coming back. So this year we're celebrating the you know the threes and the eights, as we say. But I want to open the invitation to all of our alumni to come back to reunion weekend every year, um, to be one of that perennial crowd, the growing perennial crowd of reunion attendees, because um, it is a really meaningful way to engage in uh, with the university. Um, it's um, an opportunity to engage with faculty presenters, with alumni presenters, the Reunion College program. This year, we're going to lift up elements of the third century plan and the four pillars that I, I walk through um, w- as part of the Reunion program. Yeah. But you know, there will be the um, all the normal attractions of you know big tents and fireworks and torchlight and uh, all the things that we. Um, we love about coming together as a Colgate community, but um, we really do want to open it up to to all classes every year um, and not just those um, five-year increments to come back and celebrate. Carl, thank you so much for joining us today. This was really great. My pleasure, Dan. It's fun to be with you. Thank you. Tell your friends and family about the podcast. If you have any questions, please send them along to 13 at colgate.edu. That's 13, the number. And until next time, keep asking questions. 13 is a production of the Colgate University Office of Communications and Events. Episodes are recorded on campus in Lathrop Hall. Executive producer, Colgate Vice President for Communications and Events, L. Hazel Jack. Producer and host, Dan DeVries. And audio production by Brian Ness. Learn about all the happenings at Colgate at colgate.edu, colgatemagazine.com, and colgateresearchmagazine.com.